Father, I thank you that uh, when we spend the time with you, you show us fenced in and hidden things. That you like to be, you like to be sought after like that. And I thank you, Father, that Mandy has sought after you for a word today. We ask you to speak and flow through her in Jesus' name. Good morning. Um, I think my family's going to be really happy for me to get this out this week because I have been completely unavailable a lot of times this week. (laughs) Um, It's funny, you know, I grew up in a, uh, just to give you a little bit of background on me, those who don't know me very well, um, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in the South, and a lot of those places, as you probably know, um, lived under the cessation gospel, which is basically, you know, a lot of those gifts were just for the, for the New Testament early church and that didn't exist for today. And I just, I don't know how we got in, but somehow in our youth group, at some point, somebody let somebody in who gave us a spiritual gifts test. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they did not know he was going to do that. Well, you can imagine my discouragement when the gift of prophecy came up. I'm like, great, I got a dead gift. Um, So, but what was interesting is I felt like ever since I was a little bitty girl, I had dreams and I saw pictures and I never knew what that was all about until I met my husband. He's like, babe, you know, that's not normal, right? I'm like, I don't know. I thought everybody did this. Um, So anyway, um, this week I have been, as I went in to pray about this message this week, there was a lot of prophetic, um, a lot of pictures, and and basically, not that this, maybe nobody in this room needs to know or hear this, but um, it's just conveying the heart of God. It's that's all it is. Sometimes we make it weird, but it's really just conveying the heart of God for his people. Uh, and that, you know, in the Old Testament, the prophets, man, they were so crucial for the body at that point. And I believe that they still are. I believe that today, um, now more than ever, we need to hear from the Lord. We need to hear what is your heart? What is your heartbeat? And so as I prepared this week, I just felt like over and over again, I was just getting the Lord's heartbeat for his bride. And it is very much related to what's happening in this cultural moment in our country. So bear with me this morning um, as I try and just explain this to you guys. Um, A few years ago, um, I found ourselves in the middle of our adoption journey. And in that process... um, My brother and his wife were also adopting, and they were adopting from Africa. And I was praying into that season for them and with them. And the Lord began to speak to me about what he was doing through that. And one of the things that he said to me was, I am bringing uh, my heart in this, and I am desiring to bring reparations. And I didn't know what that word meant. I had to look it up. But reparations is the act of making amends for something done wrong. 
And then he spoke something to me that has helped me understand who he is. And that is, he said, Mandy, with every generation, I have revealed and am revealing my heart regarding this whole sin of racism in our country. And I believe today we are in another season of that. And it is really critical for us to have his heart in this. And so, um, as you know, like I said, we've been in Acts. We've been studying in Acts. But it's not just that we're in Acts. I believe we're in Acts. We've been reading in Acts, but I believe, like, I went back and I was listening to some of the things, the prior messages that Marvin has spoken, and I kept thinking about the mountain of the Lord, and I kept thinking about the word reformation, and that he is bringing a reformation to his bride right now. And, you know, as much as I wanted to continue on with Acts 3 and Acts 4, I felt like God put a holy pause right where we were, because something stopped me in my tracks. Last week, my husband spoke about um, fellowship, and he talked about, you know, they were all gathered together, and they were eating together and fellowshipping together, but in Acts 4.33, it says that they were all together in unity, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. From the beginning of time to when Jesus comes back, I believe the Lord is relating to us in two ways. Number one, he's responsive. He's responsive to us. He shepherds us. He's a good father. But I think the second thing is he is unraveling a plan that he's had to reveal himself from the beginning of time. As his bride, we have got to ask him, how are you revealing yourself to us in this hour. In Dwell the other day, we were, we were singing in this song, Build Your Kingdom Here came up. And it says, um, we lay down our lives for heaven's cause. Awake the kingdom seed in us. And I feel like that's what he's trying to do with us right now. He's trying to bring up in us, you know, if you look where your feet touch the ground is, is where heaven meets earth. We are called as his bride to bring the kingdom here. And it's not going to come outside of us. It's going to come inside of us. My mouth is dry. So, um, a few weeks ago, um, the Lord began to speak to me about some things, and this is what I believe is on his heart right now. He said, um, and he quoted the, the scripture, that justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. And when I was in prayer this week, um, he kept quoting scriptures to me that were like that. Probably, oh, thank you. I probably will. Um, and I just want us to understand that this is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus to bring righteousness and justice. It says, and if you look in Isaiah 61, 
As I was praying this week, I actually ended up in travail for a couple of hours, which hasn't happened to me in years. But the Lord spoke two scriptures that I just want to share with you. And at the end of Isaiah 61, it says, Instead of your former shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, your people will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, in their land, they will possess double. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery. And I will faithfully reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. And then he says in verse 11, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will most certainly cause righteousness and justice and praise to spring up before all the nations through the power of his word. And then he spoke to me, and I loved this because I didn't even realize this was there, but he spoke to me Isaiah 9, 7, and I looked it up. And, you know, the, we, all, we are familiar with Isaiah 9, 6, which says, For unto us a child is born and a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. There shall be no end to the increase of his government and of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time forward and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And then he talks about making himself known from generation to generation. Do we see that right now the heart of the Lord is to reveal himself, the foundation of his throne in justice and righteousness to the earth? And as I began to pray over where we are as a nation, I asked the Lord, like, what is your heart? And he said to me, I'm jealous for my name. I don't know of another country that throws around his name as much as we do. And you can, you can tell me if you do, but it's on our money. Is it, though? It's in our songs. It's in our hymns. And I want to tell you right now that the Lord is jealous for his name. And this whole cause with righteousness and justice, it is not political. It is the foundation of his throne. It is the foundation of his throne. There is a holy pause right now because if we don't get this, we won't go forward. If we don't get this, we will not inherit the things that the Lord has in his heart to give us. We just won't. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. It is for the glory and the praise of his name. His name is at stake. And we've got to lay down whatever it is we're loyal to. 
to pick up what his heart is burning for. As a testimony, for the last four weeks now, I think, I've just felt the grief and the lament of the Lord over and over in a way that I never have, never in my life, doubled over, weeping. And as I've prayed, I feel like the Lord has said to me, it's my grief, it's my grief that you're joining me in. It's the grief of your brothers and sisters. And it's the grief over my own complicitness in it. And I know these words are so contested right now that we have, there's just so much out there, which doesn't surprise us really. I mean, this is a battle. (laughs) If this was going to be easy, it wouldn't be contested. So I think we're on the right track with something. But, you know, I, I thought about the mountain of the Lord, that, that picture, Marvin, that you've spoke about over and over and over again. And early on when we did those devotions, I didn't even realize that it was prophetic then, that this scripture kept coming to mind. It says, who may ascend unto the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to what is false, nor has sworn oaths deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord in righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the description of the generation, of those who diligently seek him and require him as their greatest need, who seek your face. Some some translations say require him as a vital necessity. He is a vital necessity in this hour. Unity is not going to happen unless we take up the cause of the Lord. It's just not. And he's waiting. And he's kind. And I believe there's amazing things happening. And as a matter of fact, if you just look at the site where George Floyd died... In Minneapolis, there has been revival breaking out. But that revival has come through the joining of arms and the joining of hands of people who are there to just seek what the Lord wants, to seek his heart. And I believe that that is, I think he's showing us, like, this is what I want. This is what I'm after. This is my heart. And he's giving it to us as a picture. Like, we don't even have to wonder what it's going to look like. Just go look on YouTube. Look up the civil righteousness movement. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Acts 2, 42, day after day they met, continuing with one mind. And I think that's what we're after right now. We're after one mind and one heart. And again, it's for the sake of Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's always been about him. You know, I think if we even really think about it, if we can understand all of this in the lens of how he sees it, I think a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you that this is no 
man-centered gospel. This is a God-centered gospel. And so every single thing that we look at, we have to look at through the lens of the gospel. Do you know why racism is so awful? Because when Jesus came, he came to reconcile man to God, but he came to reconcile man to man. Racism stands in the place of that. We, it's a barrier to that. It's a barrier to us being able to receive the fullness of the gospel. It is a gospel issue. That is why this issue, as he's bringing it up, he goes, this lands squarely in the lap of the church. No other people are called to carry the gospel than his sons and daughters. Racism is a gospel issue. And if we are about the gospel, we've got to be about this issue. And when we are about this issue, it can't just be about how we feel about it or what we think about it. Because, and I know if you're like me, I have a daughter of color. I have nieces and nephews of color. Okay, so my heart for the longest time, I feel like, I was like, I don't understand what all the fuss is about. Like, I love people of color. I've adopted, they're my son, they're my daughters, they're my nieces and my nephews. But did you hear what it said in Acts? Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? It's not just clean, or it's not just pure hearts, it's clean hands. Our hands aren't clean. And it's not been intentional. This is not just me speaking. I just want you to know that. I believe with every fiber of my being, this is the heart of the Lord. He does not mean it to be unkind. He wants the fullness of the gospel. And why it's so important that the church pick this up, because you know what the world will do? The world will stop at a man-centered gospel. They will cut short the completeness and the fullness of what God wants to release on the earth right now if we let them, them being the people who do not have his heart, those not called by his name, if we leave it and do not pick it up as our cause, it, it'll continue. We are at an opportunity, a point in history where we can actually see something change. But we've all got to ask ourselves, where are we in this story? Every single person who bears his name. Where are we in this story? That's what I've spent weeks asking the Lord. Where am I, Lord, in this story? And I believe we'll have fellowship with each other. I believe we'll have unity. I believe we'll see a release of the Spirit as a product of this. If we surrender our heart and surrender our will, to the Lord, surrender our opinions, surrender our judgments, what we've held on to our whole lives, what we've grown up with. And I love at the beginning of Isaiah 61, because he spoke this to me this week, and I saw something I've never seen. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to declare freedom to the captives, and to... Um, and to, to minister to the brokenhearted. But what I didn't see is that those who are in darkness are those who are darkened by their own sin. And then you've got the people who are brokenhearted. 
And then you've got the poor. That really covers everybody. It's, it's both oppressors and the oppressed. The gospel is for all of us. It's good news. It's good news. Lord, we want to love what you love. Guys, it's not optional. It's not optional. It's been too optional in our country. We've got to be really careful with our words because he's going to judge us by them. And I don't know about you, but I feel the holiness and the fear of the Lord on this. And I love the fact that he has been ministering in his kindness and he's been ministering in his love this morning because it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. He has such good things in store for us. He really does. I'll share another story that the Lord put on my heart this week when we were in Dwell. And as we were praying and worshiping, I saw something again that I hadn't seen. And it was, it has to do with the story of Stephen and when he was martyred. And I want to look at these two scriptures together. Um. Because I really do believe that everybody in this room can, is, is either in one or the other of these two characters in this story. And I think we have to ask ourselves, what, what is the Lord saying to us this morning about this? Um, but if you will pull up that scripture, let's find which one it is now. Acts 7. Now, if you remember the story of Stephen, he had been preaching to the Sanhedrin. And he was giving him a, Jew, a, a lesson in Jewish history. <laughs> you can imagine how they loved hearing that. And as he spoke, they burned with anger. And they drug him out to the outside of the city. And I want you to listen to this account says, now when they heard this accusation and understood its implications, they were cut to the heart, and they began grinding their teeth in rage at him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit and led by him, gazed into heaven and saw the glory, the great splendor and majesty of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened up and welcome, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
Then they drove him out of the city and they began stoning him. And the witnesses placed their outer robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They continued stoning Stephen, and as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive and accept and welcome my spirit. And then falling on his knees in worship, he cried out loudly, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not charge them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep in death. This right there embodies the call of every believer. Because what I saw, when I saw that scene flash before my eyes, I saw a man lift his gaze up to the heavens and see Jesus. And then a man who was not at the resurrection, or who was not at the crucifixion, quoted Jesus. What does that tell us? That means he saw him, he beheld him, and then he embodied him in that moment. He embodied the person of Christ, then he gave up his spirit. And then I saw something in my, in my, my mind. I saw this, it was like a movie scene, and it flashed along the ground, and it came along to some feet, and I knew they were the feet of Saul. And I saw almost like what I would describe as just the fragrance of Jesus. And maybe cloaks were dropped at Saul's feet. But I, what I really believe is that something in the spirit was imparted to Saul in that moment. So we saw, we see Jesus, or Stephen sees Jesus. He embodies Jesus. He dies and he releases the fragrance of Jesus. This is a man who's being oppressed in the middle of it. But listen, as I looked into the story of Saul... I saw something, okay? And we know that Saul was most, or Paul was most likely killed for his faith. And the very last recorded words of him were in 2 Timothy 4. And I want you to listen and see if you can hear this. He talks about preaching the word as an official messenger, being ready when the time is right, even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency. He says, correct those in error, warn those who sin. Is that not what Stephen did? Was he not standing there showing that, demonstrating? Correct those in sin with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction. But as for you, he says, be clear-headed in every situation. Do the work of an evangelist. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure from this world is at hand, and I will soon go free. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is reserved for me the victor's crown of righteousness for being right with God and doing right, which the Lord, the noble righteous judge, will award to me on that great day. And then he says, at my first trial, no one supported me. No one stood with me. They all deserted me. But may it not be counted against them by God. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me and empowered me so that through me the gospel message might be fully proclaimed 
and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Do you see that? Do you see that in the death of Stephen, something was imparted to Paul? Both men, the oppressed and the oppressor, ended their lives in a testimony to Jesus Christ. They saw him, they embodied him, and they released him as a fragrance. Every single one of us in this room, regardless of the color of our skin, that is how our stories are meant to end. That is what he's after. It's always something bigger than just us. It doesn't just stop at us. It will be a beautiful thing when we reach the, he- the kingdom of God and all the nations and the colors and all of that will be there. It's going to be amazing. But even more so than that will be the king of glory there among us. We're after so much more. Don't let yourselves be bogged down into the, the nuts and bolts of what's happening in our culture. There's so much more at stake. The gospel is at stake. The name of Jesus is at stake. The heart of the Father is at stake. We want to minister the heart of the Father to the world. The world needs the heart of the Father. So where do you find yourself this morning? Who do you identify with? I'll tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you, when I read that story, I felt more like the oppressor. It's not because that's my heart. But there's been some things going on in our country. Hidden things. Because sin is always hidden. And the Lord is digging it up. And it's our job to respond. We don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. And we want fellowship and we want unity. But unity comes when we have his heart and we agree with his heart. And I kept thinking about, again, that picture of the mountain of the Lord. And in my mind's eye, I saw this picture, and I saw some people, and I saw us all in this room, and I literally saw the mountain here. And I felt like the Lord was saying, your job in this hour is to take steps towards me. Towards the mountain of the Lord. Every single person. And what an incredible picture. Everybody in here is in a different chair. Nobody's coming from the same chair. Do you see that? We all have our own individual chair. We have our own individual set of thoughts, ideas, experiences that we bring to the table. And the Lord just says, no matter where you're sitting in this room, you're all coming to meet me in the middle here. And you're coming from different places. Could I just get you five to stand up real quick for me? I want to show you this picture. I didn't even ask them. I'm totally surprising them, okay? I want you to notice something, though. What happens? I want every single one of you to take a step towards this spot right here. Just one step. Okay, maybe a couple more. A couple more. Stop right there. 
What do you notice about the space in between them? Say it again. It got closer. Thank you. So the fellowship of the Lord can be, can be cultivated in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways is by taking steps towards the heart of the Father. It closes that gap. So, what are we going to do with that? How are we going to respond? That's the question this morning. How are we going to love? And only the Holy Spirit can tell you that. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you that. A lot of people will tell you what love looks like. Only the Lord knows what it looks like in your heart. And it's an adventure. It's a journey. He's inviting you to journey with him in this. He's inviting to share his heart with you. He's inviting to go to the depths and plumb the depths of your heart to see what's in there. Yeah, Lord, we just want your heart. We just want your heart this morning. We just, the world needs your heart. You're coming again, Jesus, and you're coming back for a pure, spotless bride. The Lord desires to present the son with the inheritance that the son deserves. Let that be your focus. Let that be the thing that allows you to let go, is that Jesus is worthy of his inheritance. He is worthy of a bride that is completely and totally for him and for his glory. It all ends with the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. So no matter where you are in this story this morning, let it end in the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, I'm just asking that chains would fall off our shoulders, that eyes would be opened in the name of Jesus. In just a minute, we're going to have the worship team come back up, and we're just going to go into our third hour of just responding to the Lord. Mandy, thank you. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you. I'm so grateful for the word of the Lord. And um, Mandy, just as you were sharing, and you can sit down. I'll just keep going with this. So as uh, Mandy was preaching, I just, uh, I've been in this growing revelation the last two weeks that we are in a Joshua 5 moment in the history of our nation. And I believe this spiritual family is in a Joshua 5 moment right now. And Joshua 5 is right before the battle of Jericho. And um, they're getting strategy for how to defeat, you know, the, the, the enemy and this stronghold, which represents, I believe, strongholds in our, in our midst and in our, in, in our nation. And um, 
And so they're preparing, and Joshua sees this angelic being. Many scholars believe it's pre-incarnate Jesus, you know, Jesus appearing before his first coming. And so whether it's that or an angel, there's this being that's there in the battlefield, and Joshua approaches. And guys, keep this in mind right now. The enemy is trying to polarize and draw a fake line. There's a fake line being drawn to make us choose sides. And so Joshua is not thinking, I don't think real clearly because there's a lot of stress. And as a leader, I really appreciate that picture. It's like real. Shepherds are under stress right now, guys. It is intense what is happening and try to navigate through landmines all around us and try to keep the body uh, safe and protected. And so Joshua, the cool thing about this, it says Joshua looked up. Guys, I want to tell you, this is a time we got to look up and stop looking down. Joshua looked up and he encounters this angelic being and he just blurts it out. It's kind of like Peter just says what's there like, are you, for, are you for us? Are you for your enemies? And this is what the word of the Lord is in this hour. No. 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 The angel of the Lord says, no. You've got it all wrong. You're trying to draw this line and say, this is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is bad. This is the side you're on. We want you for us. Be against our enemies, destroy our enemies. And all of a sudden, I think it's like the revelation hits Joshua. And he says, tell me why you're here. What is the word of the Lord? And the angel says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And what I've heard the Lord saying for the last two weeks for the well is we've got to get to holy ground. We have to get to holy ground. We have to look up and get higher. Church, I'm calling us higher. Mandy, that was a message that called us to the mountain and called us to look up instead of looking down. And it's just going to be so weird, but I was, uh, I was drawn into a memory as you were preaching, Mandy. Years ago, I saw this PBS special. It was like an Animal Kingdom special, one of those. And like, it was a vignette you know how they focus on different animals it showed this battle between two mountain rams and these mountain rams were just fighting each other and fighting each other and fighting each other and finally their horns got so entangled and locked that they could not separate because their heads were down and they just kept hitting each other and hitting each other and they were so entangled they could not separate and they wouldn't give up and do you know what happened they both died. They died locked horns entangled. That's what's going to happen to us. If we don't get higher, if we don't get to holy ground, we exalt our own opinion so much that we will lock horns and we'll say, I'm going to die. Are you willing to die on? That's the little mountain. You willing to die on that mountain locked horns over like, I will defend this. I didn't do anything. Self-justification. The answer is no, neither. Like we need, we need Jesus to be king of that mountain in our midst and to get higher. This is such a holy moment. I've been praying, God, get the well to holy ground lest we devour each other. Get us to holy ground, Lord. 
I believe our focus on being a Jesus-central community is what's going to save us. Think about it, guys. Our leader is a brown-skinned Jewish man whom nations around him hated his race. And this is our leader this morning, a brown-skinned Jewish man now seated at the right hand of his Abba. Standing on his king on top of this mountain, calling us to get to holy ground. Let's all stand together. Worship team, if you could come ahead up.